Good morning, everybody. Um, there's two verses, and they're in, one's in the uh, New Testament and one's in the Old Testament. So the first one is in Matthew chapter 7, and it's verse 7. And the, the heading here is Effective Prayer. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. And in the Old Testament, it's 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. And this is talking about Jabez. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. And I've also got a reading here from a little book. Uh, The book is I Hear His Whisper. Your life will demonstrate that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I will shake the world through a generation of men and women who have surrendered to my ways and have been filled with my spirit wind. Bring me your tender heart, willing to be changed in a moment as you gaze into my twinkling eyes of love. I am the God who can be trusted. When you risk it all to believe that I can work through you, you are stepping into agreement with heaven. The only way to release my glory through you is to move in the ways of faith. You must not only know that what I say is true, but also be courageous and reach out so that I can reach through you. Then I will open your mouth and you will speak my words. You will touch the sick and release my healing. You will walk into the darkness and fill it with light. I love doing miracles through my children The responsibility to make things happen isn't yours. It's mine. I simply need you to release what's already inside of you. I wish you all a good morning. It's a bit strange being here after four months away, but here I am. Um, Before I say anything that hopefully is beneficial... I have to confess that 
this week has been a disaster. When Ruth rang me and says, Jack is asked if you can preach, I was still in Africa. I still had four or five days in which I think I was going to be able to prepare. That didn't happen because my last four or five days became very, very busy. This week has been a complete disaster. I've been irritable. I've been exceptionally angry. And on Wednesday, I kicked Ruth's son out of the house, not literally. And I told him that he needed to go away and think about how he treated his mother, how he was conducting his life. And so it came to to yesterday and I thought, this isn't good for tomorrow. But God has always had a way of realigning myself with him when things are not good. Normally on a Saturday evening, Ruth and I would have maybe a glass of wine, maybe a beer, and we'd watch some kind of action-packed film that would really quite chill us out. But yesterday, we watched the story of the martyr Dietrich Bonhoff, who was martyred for his faith in Germany at the end of the Second World War. And then we watched a documentary on Corrie Tamboon, who also suffered at the hands of the Nazis, but had an amazing ministry after the Second World War and up until she died in the way that she reached out to others with total forgiveness. When I leave Africa, it's always quite emotional for me, primarily because I want to come home to Ruth, I want to come home to friends and family. I was aware that things were happening in ABC, exciting things like Florence induction. So there was that pull. But a large part of my heart always remains in Africa. In the last two years of my African journeys, half of what has been achieved for the Lord could not have been done without Ruth's love and support. And I want to say a very big thank you to you all at ABC for your continued prayers whilst I was away. Your prayers for when I was sick in Uganda for a nine-day period. I was under a bit of pressure to to present um, a leadership program. Um, I've never been sick in Africa before, so it was a completely new experience. And I want to thank you for your prayers as I travelled many, many miles. And I sincerely want to thank you for all the money that was donated for the many Bibles to the South Sudanese refugees. Out of the eight refugee camps in Uganda, four camps have now received Bibles. And for the very first time, many people are able to read the New Testament in their own Coleco language. It has taken 16 years for the South Sudanese interpreters to uh, put the, their language into a New Testament Bible with the help of Wycliffe. It's a continuing work, and there's a need to still provide 
more Bibles for the camps. But my message today is quite a simple one. And I've entitled it, Prayer and the Power of Prayer. So there's no great theological um, principles. I've chosen to share some testimonies. And I have to say that prayer is quite a strange concept for me. Because when I'm praying, I sometimes see the Lord answer my prayers quite quickly. Sometimes I've prayed really knowing that the Lord's presence is with me. And I've filled my uh, I've felt my prayers zooming straight up to heaven. And sometimes I've simply felt my prayers, like this week, just simply hitting the the ceiling. However, over the last years, I've learned to apply the Apostle Paul's approach to prayer, which is seen in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, which says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, which surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But before I share any of the testimonies, there's some basic principles that might help you to apply when you're praying. And I'm sure that you know most of them. But our aims as Christians should always be able to draw closer to God as our Heavenly Father. And Jesus taught, didn't he, that the only way to have access to God is through him. And if you truly want to understand who God is, then you must develop a close relationship with Jesus. Jesus was God in human form and understands humanity in its entirety. We are all anxious and stressed people by nature. But the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. The term supplication bears the spirit of reverence and devotion And it's a form of prayer which means that we can plead with God humbly and be assured that the Lord will answer our prayers. We can cast our worries and our anxieties on him, him alone, and not sit in a constant state of anxiety. Prayer should always increase our gratitude and thankfulness. Thankfulness that the Lord Jesus died on a lone, cruel cross, and that he shed his blood for each of us. Thankfulness for our salvation, and thankfulness for God's mercy and grace towards us. Prayer helps us to shift our focus from ourselves and onto others. We live in a hurting world. We live in a world that is completely disorientated to God's ways. We should be praying for our churches. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are hurting and distressed. Prayer helps us to really hear what the Lord is really saying to us. King David, in Psalm 34, verse 1, says, 
I sought the Lord and he answered me. Jesus taught that we should persist in our prayers. Often we give up pursuing God because we become half-hearted. And we conclude that God is completely indifferent to us. But truly knowing God as an intimate heavenly fire, Father requires faith. It requires us to be focused. It requires persistence. And it requires follow-through. In other words, that we should meditate after we pray. We need to attune our ears to what God is really saying to us. Jesus says and assures us that our persistence in praying will result in answered prayers. We should continue in our daily walk to seek for more wisdom, for more knowledge and patience, for more love and understanding as we develop our Christian character. Let me ask, quite gently, what prayers are you waiting for today to be answered? What doors are you seeking to be opened for you today? Maybe a new opportunity, maybe a new direction in life, or even inviting Jesus into your life, or maybe recommitting yourself to Jesus. Jesus is always inviting us to have a relationship with him, with God as our Heavenly Father, and with fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We will never truly understand why God answers some prayers quickly and sometimes in having delayed prayers. But we serve a sovereign God who is sovereign over all things, including answers to prayers. But like David, King David, we must continue in prayer, continue seeking and pursuing him until our prayers are answered. Prayer helps us conquer temptations. We will always be in a continual warfare. Warfare that wages against the Christian and warfare that wages against humanity itself. And the deeper we go into our relationship with God, Satan will always place all sorts of temptations before us. He would tempt us with all the world's delights and wonders and even the lust of life. But when we face such temptations, we need to be on our, nares, uh, sorry, on our knees and approach God's throne of grace. Because it's at the throne of grace that we find a saviour who was tempted in every single way but yet never sinned. And it's at the throne of grace that we find God's love and mercy and God's grace when we fail in our own humanity. Prayer restores forgiveness. Prayer allows reconciliation when our relationships go sour. Prayer allows restoration to continue in our faith and our relationship with the Lord. And prayer allows miracles to take place by the power of the Holy Spirit, which now leads me on to some testimonies. On my very first journey to Africa nearly 20 years ago, I took and read this book by the great evangelist David Hathaway, and it's entitled The Power of Faith. Hathaway is a man who chose to live on the edge for God. 
he chose to live in the danger zone and take amazing risks for God. He worked in Russian prisons where he saw the power of the Holy Spirit miraculously heal prisoners' deformities. He saw through the power of prayer and faith prisoners walk away from wheelchairs. He's seen people released from demonic powers of darkness. And he's seen those that were blind restored with full eyesight. Hathaway was imprisoned in a communist prison where he suffered two heart attacks. There were no prison doctors. There was no medication. There were no nurses. But by faith, he reached out to God. By faith, he believed that God would heal him, and God did. He has been healed twice from lung cancer. And Hathaway says, I would rather live life in a storm with Jesus than live at peace without him. His Christian faith has sustained him all his life. And in this book, he encourages the reader what God can do through a person if only a person would choose to believe and act in faith. If anybody would like a loan of this afterwards, please come and take it. Eight years ago, when I was just starting Bible college, a young man by the name of Joey arrived at the college to do the 10-week foundation course. He was an engineer by trade, and he was heading out after his 10 weeks to go to a very remote place in Peru. Joey was quite a tall man, but he was exceptionally thin. But he was a lively, enthusiastic person and abounding in God's love and grace. And like most young people at the college I attended, he found love with one of the girls that was on my three-year course. Joey went off to Peru, he was very excited. And he also knew that there were going to be indigenous people, indigenous people who practiced the occult and witchcraft practices. And when Joey left, I never heard from him for eight, uh, 18 months. He'd kept in touch with his girlfriend at the time. And as I entered my final year of college, Joey suddenly reappeared. But however, the Joey that I remember was no longer the Joey. He looked as though he had aged 20 years. He was stooped over. He was aided by walking sticks. And he was severely fatigued. And Joey believed that during his time in Peru, the indigenous people had been praying against Christians in that area. The college prayed and fasted for Joey. His church back home prayed and fasted for Joey. His girlfriend's church prayed and fasted for Joey, and nothing seemed to be happening. But cutting a long story short, a pentel black or a black Pentecostal church in uh, North London had a deliverance ministry. And Joey went to spend some time at this deliverance church. Joey came back and he still was not very well. I went to visit him one night in his room where him and his girlfriend were praying. And they said to me, 
we just feel that though Joey's been to this Pentecostal deliverance meeting and we think that God is starting to do something, we really feel that we need to commit every single part of Joey's body to the Lord. I left the room and that was it. But around two o'clock the following day, I had a very excited student come up to me and says, look at this video. And here was Joey, leaping up and down, praising God, almost doing somersaults. That's the power of prayer. God still works miraculously. Joey had been restored physically, mentally, and spiritually. And he looked the young man that I remembered 18 months before. Kenya, 2017. I was on a prison ministry placement with my good friend and evangelist bishop at Henry Aburu. He has a powerful ministry uh, within the prisons, but he also has a healing and deliverance ministry. And on one particular morning, we had been due to speak in both Kagamega's prison in Kenya, both the men and the women's prisons. I was greeted very, very warmly by the woman governor. And we went in and we spoke to around 300 prisoners, women prisoners, women prisoners that will never ever see the outside of a prison again. But yet, their praise and their worship of God was like listening to angels sing. The overall governor of the prison was a big, big man. Again, he welcomed me with open arms. However, before going into the men's prison, the lead chaplain took great humbridge to me and tried to stop us going in. It was finally overruled. But however, in the men's prisons, the prisoners were totally disinterested. The atmosphere was tense and the armed security had been beefed up. I was speaking for around 10 minutes when a commotion broke out and a small prisoner was dragged out of his cells and he was presented to Bishop Aburu. And the prison guards had said to Henry Aburu, this, guard, uh, this prisoner has been disruptive all night. We don't know what to do with him. This man's face was distorted with fear. He had bulging eyes, and it was without a shadow of a doubt that some demonic influence was affecting him. Bishop Aburu, as he does quite calmly, started praying, against, uh, praying for this man, praying against the demons that were affecting this man. And I stood rooted to the spot, fearful. Bishop Maburu, as I knew, would, would call me over, and I really didn't know how to pray for this guy. <laughs> but as I prayed, I said one significant thing to this man, and that was, if you turn to Jesus and accept that his blood shed for you at Calvary's cross will set you free, and at this the man fell to the ground, shaking and convulsing. So we continued praying for this guy. But as we prayed, the Holy Spirit just got straight into this man's heart and mind and his soul. And the fear, the bulging eyes, the shaking completely stopped. We lifted him to his fate. We carried on praying for him. That's the power 
of prayer and the Holy Spirit. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And at the name of Jesus, demons will have to flee. I've come across demonic activity three or four times now when I've been in the refugee camps in particular. And I'm now a little bit more confident when I'm praying for these kind of situations. But I know that the power of prayer can work powerfully. Whether the Holy Spirit works with signs and wonders or just answering what seems the most mundane of prayers or answering what seems the most impossible of prayers. South Sudan this year. I work with an Anglican bishop by the name of Bishop Semi. He has been made a refugee twice. The first time when the war was really bad in Panyana, where I was this year, he walked for five days with 250 people from his church, women, children, and men, to get them into a safety place. He's a very, very calm and dedicated man to his calling. But I've waited seven years to get into South Sudan, and every time that we are thinking that, yes, we're going to go in, the war has stopped us. But the week that I was due to go in and was told that we was going to go in, I prayed that God would allow it. But I wanted God to deal with me before I went in. I wanted him to deal with any ego that I might have in going in. I wanted him to deal with any pride that I might have about going into South Sudan. And the Lord did. At our arrival at the Ugandan border, the immigration officer said, to Bishop Semi, is all your paperwork in order? Because he says, once I stamp your passports to go out, you're heading up to South Sudan immigration. Yes, he says, everything's in order. Got to the South Sudan immigration office, and all of a sudden, everything changed. A massive conversation, which I wasn't understanding at all, was taking place between Bishop Semi and the immigration officer. My passport was taken away, and I thought, oh, this is not really very good. 15, 20 minutes went by, and I thought, this really isn't very good. I just felt the Lord say to me, keep your mouth shut. Bishop Semi's phone was taken from him. Another conversation's taking place. And after 10 minutes, we was told, off you go. I walked out with the immigration officer. We was in South Sudan soil. And I said to Bishop Semi, what's just taken place? He said, TIA, which means this is Africa. <laughs> I says, but Bishop Semi, you've got to tell me what's gone on. He says, the High Commissioner has overruled the immigration officer. We're going into South Sudan. That day we travelled up to a place called Morobo, where we saw children whose schools had been destroyed by the war. We'd seen people that had livelihoods destroyed by the war. But the following day, I was due to preach, and I did preach to um, South Sudanese soldiers, a gospel message, not knowing that the High Commissioner was going to come and listen as well. So no pressure, really. 
and he turned up with two big armed jeeps of soldiers. So I thought, oh, maybe something's going to happen. That, after that uh, message with the soldiers, I was then to preach to around 250 people at St. Andrew's Church. And I was given a fantastic interpreter, so it was made very, very easy for me. And though I didn't know what was going to happen after I preached, at the end of the service there was an altar call, and around 50 people came back to the front to recommit their lives to Christ. But the drama wasn't quite over at this point. I had to get back into Uganda. And the Ugandan official just said to me, I'm not stamping your passport, so don't expect to get back into Kenya. <laughs> so I thought, okay. Anyway, two weeks, another two weeks went by. I was back in Uganda, but heading to the Ugandan and Kenyan border, having prayed and known people that were praying here, I went up to the Ugandan uh, immigration officer. She was a young lady. And I had my ordination shirt on, and she just simply says, you come into Uganda an awful lot, Reverend. I says, yeah. She says, next time get a permit, or I'm just going to stick you into jail. I was back in Kenya. Biddy biddy camp this year. I was asked to do a three-day leadership program for the South Sudanese refugee pastors. I was told, can we cater for 23 pastors? I said, yeah, no problem. At the end of the first day, 50 pastors arrived. And I felt a little bit stressed. I said, Lord, how are we going to provide for 50 pastors, food, water, things like that? I prayed, that was it. But on the following day, I was going to preach to about 400 refugees. And I felt guilty that I may even have some food. So I preached. The pastor's thing, leadership program, all went very well. At the end of the big service, I went into a traditional African hut. I had some food, and I was still thinking, Lord, how are you going to provide for all these people? But as I walked out of the hut to go for a walk, the whole camp had been fed. The Lord provides when things seem impossible. With God, all things are possible. And my final story, I did some friendship evangelism with some street children. It was as simple as that. They probably was attracted to me because I've got a big bald head and tattoos. But I started to hear some of their stories. And I said, who actually looks after you? He says, oh, it's the ninja man. I says, who? He says, the ninja man. I says, well, I'd like to meet the ninja man. And a meeting was arranged at a bar. And I was expecting just an older street kid to turn up. But this immaculate guy who was in his 30s came up. His actual name was Franklin. I says, why do they call you the ninja man? He says, I'm an ex-street boy. They know my story. And I keep them in line. He says, but I actually advocate for these guys when they get out of line or when I'm trying to help them with the police, when the police treat them roughly. At this kind of time, I had 
two other guys approached me. They said, we've got 50 orphanages, orphans being transferred to another orphan. We've seen what you've been doing with the street boys. Can you help? So off we went with my dear friend Barrack. And I went to the orphanage. And really, I wasn't in the mood to go to the orphanage. But as soon as I saw the kids, I thought, Phew. I rang Ruth. I says, what can we do? And she said, blah, blah, blah. So I went back with crocs. I went back with food, soap, different other things, mosquito nets. And I met a lady by the name of Bishop Winnie Wheaty. And she had one of these big black faces that you couldn't help being attracted to. She had a great smile. And we talked. And she said to me, I have a lot of influence within the city of Kasumu, and I'd really like you to meet the deputy governor. And I says, right, okay. So she says, I'll be in touch. I had four days left before I was coming back home. Well, four days went. No... <laughs> There was no email, there was no confirmation that anything was taking place with the deputy governor. And I just said to the Lord, you know, even an email to say this wasn't going to happen would have sufficed. So I was feeling maybe a little bit cheated, a little bit angry. But on my very last night, I said to my friend Barrack, who travels everywhere with me, let's go and have a lavish meal at one of the hotels. So we did. It was about seven o'clock at night. I noticed where we were sitting several very, very smart men. Didn't take any notice other than that. But about ten minutes later, as our food was arriving, a massive bodyguard came through the doors with a much smaller man. And Barrack whispers to me, That's the deputy governor, Andy. And I says, Okay. He says, go and introduce yourself. Well, I had a very, very short T-shirt on. Tattoos showing. It was coming out my neck. And I thought, not really a good idea. He says, no, no, no. He says, go, 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 go and introduce yourself. He says, you're white. He won't. He won't. He won't reject you. So I went up. And he stood up and he listened to me for about three, four minutes. He said to me, Come and meet me at my government offices tomorrow morning and we'll speak. So, the following morning, we went, I had tea with him, and he said to me, Next year, when you come, show me how we can do more for the street children and how we can help as a government. So, God works through prayers. Did I expect, did I expect to meet the deputy governor? No, I didn't. Had anything been arranged? No, it didn't. But God, you know, even when we're angry, even when we're quite miserable, God continues to hear our prayers. I want to finish or start finishing by saying, like David, we must continue seeking God, our Saviour. Colossians 4.2 says, I will continue earnestly in prayer and be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And I want to really close by saying this. I hold very, very closely 
to my life to the Apostles' verse in 1 Corinthians 15.10, which says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace to me was not without effect. I am a little, and I use the word little, a bit like David Hathaway, and that when I go to Africa, I like to live on the edge of things in what I try to achieve for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I deserve everything that God has ever done in my life? And the answer is simply no. But for whatever reason, the Lord has continued to open doors for me. He has continued to enlarge my territory. He has continued to keep me from harm. And the Lord has continued to bless me, as he did Jabez. And I urge you, each of you this morning, to continue in much prayer. Because I know that the Lord can, and he will, answer our prayers. Because with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen.